0: This is a Need 10 Media production. Welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Klaibring, and in this episode, we get to meet Alvin Cowan. He's a former Ivy League QB that seems to have some questionable business he's done in Eastern Europe, but now becoming an actor alongside Clint Eastwood and also now producing and writing. Uh, These are areas of work that many people do strive to work in, but maybe not the Eastern European part. We'll find out more about that here in a little bit, and I'm excited to learn more about that and much more. But again, in this show, we introduce you to jobs, careers, and work that many people don't really know what they are, or even how people got in those roles. And Alvin, welcome aboard the podcast. And you've had some great experiences along the way, but I want to go back to your senior year in high school. What did you think you'd be doing at that point in your life?
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I grew up in Texas. I grew up in a big, big high school, Texas high school football. And I played football growing up, you know, the whole time. And I was kind of a combination of Friday Night Lights and Varsity Blues. Had had a lot of fun. Uh, really, really enjoyed that experience. And that was kind of the plan, right? Is, is go to college, play football, go maybe to the NFL, play football. And you know, we had had some role models in the past who who had done that. Drew Brees, for instance, went to my high school. Uh, Nick Foles went to my high school. So we had had we had a story program, and and that was kind of the model. That was kind of what the kids wanted to do. That was certainly what I thought I was going to do. But the scholarships just didn't come in. I only played I played behind a guy my junior year, and so I only played one year of high school football. And you know, one thing led to another, and the Ivy League opportunity came up. You know, I was oddly uh, to say for uh, I guess an Ivy League opportunity. But I was I was somewhat disappointed by that. It just felt like that was um, a lower level of football than I wanted to play at. And but I ended up going. That, that's that's where I was at in my senior year. So semi
0: disappointed with my Yale opportunity. You know, you're you're talking about a story in, in that many people across this country and whether it's football or any sport or whatever you see that and and you aspire to it and and you probably had people encouraging along the way and they kind of just expected that because they saw what kind of player you were, and even as you went on to to ivy league at yale you know that's that's an identity and you talk you talk about that football's done a, a piece of you kind of goes away and it's maybe was it hard to recover from that and then figure out where you needed to be
1: yeah, you know, for sure. It's, it's, it's funny. The, the way I talk about um, post-football playing career is, you know, I, I went to this uh, Ivy League school and, and I got the same degree as anybody else in a small sense of entitlement. You know, for me, it was always football. And I didn't get much job or or career direction from any resources and, and maybe I didn't seek out those resources. Right. But you know I remember I remember walking into a meeting with the job counselor when I was a senior at Yale, and he and he said, "So which bank do you want to work at?" And I said, well, I don't want to work at a bank. And he said, so which senator do you want to work for? And I said, I don't want to work for a senator. And he said, well, I can't help you. You know, I, I, I always thought that was the path, right? I thought I was going to go play in the NFL. That was going to be my life and my career. And, and when that didn't happen, I didn't really know who I was. I, if I wasn't Alvin Cowan, the quarterback, you know, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And it took me two years, really, uh, of, of what I would call grief to transition into, you know, that's not going to be who who I am, that's not going to be my life. Now I spent one and a half of those years running away in Eastern Europe, which you mentioned earlier, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it was, it was a grief and
0: and it was a, a a a rebirth is, is how I would describe it. So what, you know, hindsight's 2020, right. But you know, there's so many kids that have, or will go through what you just talked through. What advice can you give to, to those people that are aspiring to be NBA, NFL, WNBA, MLB, whatever acronym sport you want to throw out. What, what advice can you give to somebody like that?
1: The, the, I think that the myopic viewpoint that it takes to succeed at a high level, to be an Ivy league quarterback or to be a professional quarterback or to be at a, a division one caliber player, it, it takes a dedication that is almost single focus. You know, not, not many people are who, who achieve that are really looking outside of that, you know, line of sight to, to kind of consider new and different opportunities for me, particularly, I always had, A latent creative voice. You know, I always had something that my my cousin was an actor. When I was a kid, I used to love to draw, you know, these kinds of things. There was a little inkling in the back of my head, kind of whispering, saying, Hey, there's there's other interests here. Stop being so, you know, singularly focused. And and I and I ignored that because it it somehow took away from my dedication or commitment to my to my sport. And I really, you know, hindsight 2020, where I've come or where I've what I've ended up doing, I really wished I had listened to that and explored that a little bit more, broadened my perspectives a little bit more, hung out with the drama kids a little bit more. i don 't think that it, if you really look at it, I was playing three, four, five sports, right, and only one of those that I need a certain level of commitment and even now, even then, there was still would have been time to explore additional interests, so you know for me, I wished I had listened to that little whisper in the back of my head, telling me that there 's more here and and two, I think not being afraid to just explore to just do something because it 's a hobby and not have to be a profession, not have to be. You know the thing, which I I still struggle with. To be honest, I still uh, struggle with kind of not turning
0: everything into a <laughs> passion. Yeah, you know, there's regrets, and you move forward. And and this is where I got to peel this into a little bit. You take off for Romania and Eastern Europe. Yeah. First, I got to ask why, and then I got to figure out what happened that you had to sneak out of there.
1: Yeah. So. Uh... It's not as, uh, I don't think, I, like I said, It's I'm not Jason Bourne, but um, it, it, it was, um, I met a friend of my dad's at a, at a Christmas party. I had just finished my playing career, uh, reasonably um, depressed about that. Uh, and he painted this picture of this sexy opportunity that he had where he was, you know, hanging out on yachts with Saudi princesses and, uh, you know, uh, talking to, to heads of state and selling this. I don't know, product. Um, and he got me interested because I hadn't traveled much and it sounded like, hey, sounds like a pretty cool job, right? So next thing I know, I'm in a training in Amsterdam. And, and it turns out if you've ever been abroad and you've been in a hotel room <clears throat> and you've kind of, you know, you're in Romania and, and you see one of those almost infomercial, 30-minute infomercials running on your television that says, you know, come to Romania and invest, you know, and it talks to the minister of communication or whatever. Well, the company that that I was working for or training for made those. And the way they worked is they networked down from the head of state to to, to local business owners to sell the advertising time and they kind of produce this infomercial around it. And, and so it was a cool it was a cool deal because the first person you met with when you when you got in country was, you know, the president or the prime minister and then he set you up with the cabinet and then the cabinet set you up with the CEOs. And so you're developing this little documentary and you're meeting with these high people, and it's 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 kind of cool and kind of fun. And the first one went well, you know, in Romania, I was there for six months and 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 we did our little sales. And 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 I think a key thing to to note for later on was I didn't know it that at the time I was getting involved in what amounts to production, right? I was producing commercials. I think that scratched a little bit of that creative itch, but I didn't put that together at the time that that might be you know, influential later. But um, <clears throat> to get to the point that, that you're talking about, we the next project I ended up doing after a, a little trip was, was going to Albania, which, w- which at the time, I think it was maybe 10 years after communism had fallen. I was working with an Italian guy and a Dutch girl, and they were a couple, and we were all living together in one apartment. And so they were kind of It does sound like a Jason Bourne movie, though. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. I I certainly am no Jason Bourne. I can say that with with certainty, you know, and in those 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 Eastern European countries, especially those former communist countries, and certainly only 10 years after communism has fallen because Albania was in 94, 96, and I was there in 2006 or so there's not a whole lot of difference between government, private industry and organized crime. You know, you're talking to these guys and, and you're trying to do deals. And I come at it very much from an American perspective. And my Italian colleague came at it from very much an Italian perspective. And, um, you know, we, we were talking to these guys who were representing some of the some of the higher end um, companies in the in the in, in the place. And, and there were some mild threats made that if you know we we didn't reduce the price of what we were offering you know there there might be some consequences so to speak and <laughs> and my i i turned to my italian colleague when we got back and i said this is crazy i'm out of here then what like this is not how i do business i'm not an interested in this and he was just kind of you know in his italian accent which i'll screw up but he was like oh, this is just how business is done you know and so for them, that was just, you know, it was just part of the negotiation. But for me, it, it was enough. I called my dad uh, and and I was on a flight home, man. I I, I wanted no part of shady dealing. So it, it, the funny, the, the caveat to that, uh, I'll, I'll mention this, Nate, is um, I told my wife that story uh, on our second date. She didn't really know who I was. And I think uh, <laughs> we had maybe had a couple of adult beverages and, and, She ended up telling the girl who introduced us, who was my dad's friend's daughter, like that I was in the CIA. And somehow or another, that trickles back to my parents. And I get a phone call with my dad and mom basically asking me if my time in Eastern Europe was me spent, you know, in the CIA and and running me down for this secret spy life that I never had. Um, but yeah, it, 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 all ended up being a good laugh, but, um, yeah, it, it, and I don't mean to overstate it. It, it. I don't know that I was ever in danger, but,
0: um, so on, on a plane back to the U S you yeah. end up, uh, you end up what West coast and yep. all of a sudden, uh, the, I'm guessing the creative bug continues in your body and trying to figure where that goes, acting, whatever happens. And. There's people that, you know, you weren't alone. Here's another aspiration, right? From football, you want to get in the NFL and now you're thinking actor and I want to go big. You two, you found two of the most competitive businesses to try and get into and you found some traction with that. Talk through that.
1: Yeah, there was an inflection point there, I think, um, on that plane and that, you know, I'm from Austin. I think there was an opportunity in Austin to sell insurance and have a picket fence and a, a dog and a wife and, you know, the whole deal. And I was 25, and that just didn't appeal. And I uh, had a girlfriend at the time who convinced me to come out to LA and look around. Uh, and she was finishing up at USC, and so I did. And and um, I was out here for a week. And next thing I know, I'm I'm back out with all my you know stuff three days later, moving into an apartment with no job. I think. You know, I got caught up in the energy of L.A. and and I figured, hey, uh, you're here once. What do you do here? I'm not going to go back home with my tail between my legs. I've got to put a, a stake in the ground. And what am I going to do? I, you know, I, I figure I'd try the acting thing. It wasn't by any means planned out. But as soon as I got involved on the acting side of the business, I, I started taking classes and started meeting some folks and put myself out there a little bit as an actor. I, I recognized. A comparison to what it's like to, to be a football player, right? Is is there's improvisation, some creativity involved in that? There's uh, some some attention uh, when you're successful, obviously, which which I think my ego craved. I didn't know it at the time, but but it was a really good fit for me. I got to work out uh, with other creatives. I got to be around other creatives, and and I think that fueled those early days in LA, which were which were tough. I think the real break in that experience was I relied back on my football experience and I took a job as a high school football coach. And that really stabilized me in the industry because I was able to pay my bills. I was able to um, you know, parlay some of the experience I had as a, as a football player into a stabilizing force so that I could build my acting career. Ironically, through that experience, I, I met a number of high-end industry folks, including the mentor who I would say gave me my first job. So it was a combination of things in the sense that I think I found, I reinvigorated that bug that I had never explored that I talked about earlier. And I felt like you only live once and I'm here in LA and I don't have a girlfriend and I don't know anybody, so I might as well try it. And and that was a risk. But I also used my experience to to build that, that hustle to, to build that career. And, and I think that was um, not to be overstated that it ended up relying on something
0: that I knew well to, to, to build the, the side side gig, which is now the main gig. Well, there was one thing you, you said in there that kind of stood out to me is you got the opportunity to, to then be around people that had maybe a similar mindset and similar ambitions, which was different than what you were used to probably in high school. Cause it was, it was sports and at college it was you know even at yale uh, more or less it was probably sports um you know just talk through that feeling cuz that was probably a, a pretty good self discovery piece too that opened opened your eyes and opened your mind to uh, to some pop- possibilities and learning more about who you were deep down
1: yeah for sure i i i'll tell you this story when my first acting class in order to get into that acting class you had to perform a monologue Nate, i had never done a monologue uh i had never acted I, I go home and I, I memorize this monologue, uh, not really knowing anything other than, hey, I just got to regurgitate this thing and I'll be good, right? And it was awful. You know, it, 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 it was really bad. It, my, my acting teacher said that I had on armor from playing football that I had to take off in order to be an actor and that it would be a full transformation. And I didn't realize until, you know, the last few years how right she was. I had, I had learned and developed an emotional skill set, helped me to perform as a football player that, that did not include revealing your thoughts and emotions and, and, and vulnerabilities. I think that, that that community that you're talking about is what ultimately helped me kind of slowly take that armor off because it became a, a place where that was encouraged. It became around pe- people who had similar mindset, who were up to the same things there were a number of, of, of names that, that if I told you who they were, you would know in that class. Very, very successful people that acted as models. There was a hierarchy to the class such that, you know, you wanted to please the teacher, but you also, you know, were looking up to these other actors and they were, you know, doing exciting things and showing you other avenues and other strategies to make it inside the business that weren't just as audition, book, Actors, which I, I would say is a, a good way to get on a, a, a bus back home. <laughs> right, um, right. I can't understate or overstate the importance of, of that group of people in, in both allowing me to feel safe and comfortable to develop that skill set to fail over and over again, um, and, and also providing a roadmap and guidance and mentorship and strategy of how to succeed in what you said, which is one of the most competitive businesses in
0: the world yeah you know you get through there and you got through some classes and and had some opportunities along the way. you want to talk through that just some of some of the the opportunities you had on uh, on on a stage on a sound stage you know on a set who you got to interact with things you learned along the way and you know kind of takes us to even learning more uh, about who you are of the production end of things, the writing sure. end of things but uh, you got to have some good stories along the way, other yeah. than just Eastern Europe. Experience.
1: You know, I got my first, I guess, break. Um, like I said, through through a relationship that I had, that was a football relationship. Uh, I was coaching um, a showrunner's kid. He happened to be casting his pilot and looking for somebody who had some acting experience to play a coach. I'm coaching his kid and I'm an actor. So uh, I, I didn't have to do much to get that part. I didn't have a huge part, but I'll tell you this. It gave me uh, it was in a pilot with James Kahn, who was the lead. It, it gave me an opportunity to be on a set and to learn how a professional set works. And I think I said eight lines over eight episodes. You know, I, I, I my part was not large. I was going to work every day and and learning how to be an actor in front of a camera and learning, like I said, what each crew function does and when they're in the close versus the wide versus the, you know, the medium close and what all that means and the camera angles and such. So, I'll tell you. I think the best. You know, you asked for a little Hollywood story, and one of my favorite Hollywood stories, I guess, is not soon thereafter. I booked a, a little part on American Sniper, which was um, the Bradley Cooper Clint Eastwood film. I was in the running for a really big part uh, that they ended up giving to an actual Navy SEAL. Uh, who that was his <laughs> actual life, uh, and and I think almost as a a favor, so to speak. They, they gave me this little one-line co-star, but it was a scene with Bradley Cooper and, and man, I was hyped, right? Like I am a young Hollywood actor and, you know, I think I've made it. I get to go do a scene with Bradley Cooper in a Clint Eastwood film. Right. So I go and the day is, you know, kind of a blur, a little bit of a dream, but Clint Eastwood, man, he's, he's a hero. You know, he's, he's one of my guys. He's if I, you know, he's the guy I looked up to. I gotta say, you know, thank you or say something. Cause you know, I didn't get to interact with him much. I mean, it was a short scene and he's directing, but uh, and I'm waiting around on the set for about two hours hoping for him to come out of his bus just to say, Hey man, thanks. And I think everybody's kind of thinking I'm a little weird, you know, uh, waiting around this long, but eventually he comes out of the bus and I just, I run up to him and kind of surprise him and say, Hey, Mr. Eastwood, you know, I just, I just, I just, Want to say thank you, you know, like I, I really, you know, it was a great experience today. And man, he gets that that classic Eastwood scowl, you know, and he goes, "Yeah, it was a great scene." And that to me was all I needed, right? It was like yeah. Clint Eastwood told me he liked my scene, man. L- little moments there where I think it just reinvigorated me. I think is really the point of that story is just just to say. You know, there were little moments of, of, of shot in the arm that, that, that kind of gave me a little bit more motivation to keep going because it is a hard business. And, and I, to your point, I realized pretty soon after maybe six or seven years in that just being an actor uh, wasn't going to work it, on the advice of some of my fellow acting friends that I needed to, you know, kind of diversify my skill set and be really become a writer. And, and if you're going to become a writer, you got to know what you're doing on the production angle. And so I started writing, you know, not not taking any classes or, you know, any instruction or guidance. I just started throwing together a script that wasn't great, uh, but wasn't half bad and and spurred the process on for me to kind of uh, right uh, to to take you know a UCLA extension class, which was a minimal commitment. <laughs> you know, start to develop that tool chest. It's funny because that, like I said, led to production work, which uh, led to podcast production work, and and so I, I think that's invaluable in an industry that is that is freelance in an industry that is um, uh, gig based is to be able to, to pull the strings on the different skill sets to produce the income when one skill set is low. So sometimes I'm you know very busy as an actor I'm auditioning, I'm, I'm creating you know, content now uh, as an actor, um, you know, writing, producing all of those things. But when one of those is, 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 is slow, you know, another is, is, is busy. And so I think that's a huge you know, piece of advice I would give to people in the creative arts and people in, in, the, in you know, inconsistent businesses, gig-based businesses, is when you diversify that skill set, really, you really stabilize uh, the income streams because when one's not, not busy, another is.
0: Well, you talked about going on that set, and that's something I talk through with people, just even going in, you know, I'll send people into an operating room that think they want to be a nurse or a doctor. And then there's so many other things going on around there, just like you showed up in that scene. And, and if anybody sat through the end of a movie, there's, you know, line after line of people that uh, have done random jobs. You were right in there to see this stuff going on. And I'm sure you're like, I didn't even know that was something that you could even do because you just thought actor there was probably some, some thing that, that started piquing your interest and that takes you on to, to understanding that suggestion of maybe getting to writing or producing.
1: The guy that, the guy that gave me that first job was a writer. Right. And I think he served as a, as a sounding board on the writing side, as a mentor on the sounding side and, and being on those sets. And, and, uh, you know, I was the guy who I just wanted to, I was, I thought it was cool. Right. Like I, I, it was not a whole lot different than being in a locker room with a bunch of guys or, or, um, you know, being out on the field, I just, I just thought it was cool. The technology was cool. That scene was ended up. <laughs> by the way, the thing that I didn't mention about the Eastwood scene was I ended up getting cut out of that movie. It didn't even make it in the film. I was out on in San Bernardino on a in a military transport plane with five hundred extras in military gear and all the stuff, you know. And I mean, for a guy who likes make believe, that's cool, right? Right. And so. I think that passion and that inner excitement really blended into wanting to know, hey, what's all this crap being used for? You know, like what are these people doing? Who? What are these jobs? Right? And and it turns out that you know, I I, I guess as a mild egomaniac, I couldn't stand not being in front of the camera. The behind the how how the sausage got made started to become interesting, and I think opened doors and opportunities for where my interests lied in connecting with stuff behind the camera. And so to your point, I was never going to be a a sound guy or a camera guy or in art department. I might've, could have gotten into props. (laughs) Once, once I had a broader scope of being on set and seeing everything that was available to me, I was able to say, I think those writer guys over there, like they spend all day in a room That sounds pretty good to me. That's what I like to do, right? So let's go crack some jokes and write a script. I think I found it almost bumping into walls and finding out what did it work.
0: So then as you move forward here in, in, on, a, on a project that you wanted to do, talk through you know your latest project and and you've got some traction with FAD and, and it's in the podcasting space. This seemed to be something over the last couple of years, especially through the pandemic and people having to either, I, I, always, I always say they either shifted or they shut down. You sure. shifted and found something.
1: Not a whole lot of acting and, and, you know, set work going on, certainly not early in the pandemic. You got a choice, right? Like you said it best, you know, and I had a friend uh, who who had done a couple of podcasts. Uh, He came to me and said, hey, do you have anything in the film or TV space that might work as a podcast? And it turns out that I had optioned some rights to a guy's life story named Elden Kid, who, as a way to feed his family in the 80s and 90s, started running people across the border and got caught, spent time in Mexican prison, American prison. And if you want to hear the whole story, you can go listen to the podcast. I'll put a link (laughs) Um, in the show notes for sure. Sure. And so we ended up doing that. We we turned that into a podcast and um, it was it was. Terribly successful, um, at least as far as podcasts go, and and it. I think more importantly, I was working under my friend who had done a few, and and he taught me the podcast game, uh, not altogether different from you know all the other previous mentors that I've mentioned. And so now you know I'm in I'm in the business of you know producing podcasts because I'm I was kind of one of the early early adopters of the style of podcast that Hollywood is now making, which is. You know, we're using podcast as a way to build IP to launch TV and film series. You know, you see examples all over the place now. A lot of podcasts. Julia Roberts did one called Homecoming. The most recent one I, that I know of is Renee Zellweger's on a on a show right now called The Thing About Pam. It was a podcast. So it's a way. It, it's not altogether different for how books turn into features or TV shows. You build a podcast. If it finds an audience, you know, then you're able to leverage that that audience to produce um, TV and film projects. And my my now next one, you're, yeah,
0: you're talking through something I hadn't even really considered. Consider that that's what was taking place. And once you said people are writing books and they turn them into movies, TV, and and now they're producing podcasts, which uh, is a lot easier and a lot uh, more cost-effective. And they're turning that into it. Yeah, that's some innovation happening in show business.
1: Show business, not not terribly uh, used to innovating but uh, <laughs> you know I think the Netflix of the world and the and the streamers of the world have come in a, a bit with a with a tech mindset and you know forced everybody to adapt and and that's certainly the case in the podcast world you know it, it's a it's a real business there's real um, it's a real way to test IP and ideas without breaking the bank a good doc you know style podcast for a season for ten episodes you know you're maybe talking two to three hundred thousand dollars to produce that and and you know a feature film as we know, a low budget feature film might be 2 or $3 million right. in going up. So they look at it as a way of a cheaper way of developing to see if an idea functions in, in, in the market. And if it does, you have a piece of ip that you can you can run on
0: i'm going to put that in the show notes and i'm going to downloading it right now so american coyote uh That's get right. a chance to experience that style and and where it goes and and it's been great hearing your stories and the the one question that i ask at the end of all of our, all of my podcasts if i could give you a magic wand and i'm gonna, interested to see where you go with this cuz i'm always surprised every one i've had i give you a magic wand and i say Alvin, I'm going to give you your dream job. What would that be?
1: Man, that's a good question. Um, I think I look up to the guys in Hollywood who are who are acting, producing and writing primarily because the acting piece to me is the passion. It's where my heart lives. It's what I love doing the most. It's where I feel most expressed. But I love the, the guys that are able to balance multiple plays to provide opportunities for other people. To provide jobs for other people through their own success, and you know, for me, it might be you know running my own production company through where I'm producing projects that that I both act and and write, but but also you know connecting those with other people who are just as talented in the business and and can take those projects to, to levels that I couldn't dream of. So we call that packaging. And and I think that's really the dream job is, is, is a guy who's, who's, who's dabbling in all of the different interests and providing opportunities for, for other people to, to, to live out their dreams.
0: Well, Alvin sounds like you're on your way to try and reach that dream of, you know, since the football one went away, you know, things happen for a reason and, and good luck and moving forward to establishing that next dream for you.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Nate. That's, that's certainly how I feel about it. And, and I'm excited for whatever's next.
0: Everyone, thank you for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast, That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy and the College and Career Discovery Course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateklayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.